Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes. To keep in touch with us, use our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, which are all at Q and Review. That's C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W. Or get in touch via information at qandreview.com. That's information at c-u-e-a-n-d-r-e-v-i-e-w.com. Please like and share our podcast and give us any constructive feedback. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 22nd of October 2022, from the sports section, Ange Postelikoglu blasts theatre around VAR as he lays out concerns over impact delays we'll have on Celtic's high-tempo style. By Gary McGarry. Ange Postelikoglu has criticised that theatre surrounding VAR as the involvement of the technology in Celtic's enthralling win over hearts veered from tragedy to farce. VAR played a central role in what was a hugely entertaining game in the capital, with referee Nick Walsh delaying the game on several occasions as decisions were reviewed by Steve McLaren back in VAR headquarters in Clydesdale House. The Celtic manager was less than impressed by the way those delays interrupted the flow of the game, but he also couldn't understand why the official didn't refer to the pitch-side screen when Hearts fullback Michael Smith handled the ball inside his own area. I don't like the whole theatre around it, there's too much emphasis on it and it takes too long to make a decision, Postacoglu said. Obviously it's going to have teething problems, and it's going to take a while for them to streamline that process, and I do not like standing about. I just think we're here to watch the football and not wait for people to make decisions around things. Look, I thought we had a clear-cut handball and penalty, but apparently that's not good enough. What do I know? We haven't had a penalty all year, and I keep hearing opposition managers saying we get everything. The only penalties we have taken so far this season have been in training. People assume that everything is going to be clear-cut, and I look forward to the fellow managers accepting the fact that VER is not going to be clear-cut. That is the problem with it. People think they are going to clear everything up. It won't. There are still human beings involved in the process. I get it, and probably a lone voice in terms of how I like it used. I just want minimal interference with minimal time, because it is no secret that our football is based around playing, having the ball and playing the game for as long as possible. Standing around and waiting for stuff is not great. But it is what it is. That impact Vardalis may have had on the tempo his team likes to play at is possibly Cogger's main concern. It certainly is, mate, he said. That's why I was in the least excited person about it. Look, some people enjoy it. I don't know, people will tell me it was entertaining standing about for waiting for somebody to whisper something in somebody's ear. I can think of better forms of entertainment. But it is what it is. We expect to have some teething problems. What everyone wants is that there's an aid to the referees and hopefully they get all the decisions right. But I felt we had a clear-cut penalty and we didn't get it, so that doesn't mean it's foolproof either. And that report was by Graham McGarry. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 22nd of October 2022, from the sports section, Hearts 3, Celtic 4. Celtic edge enthralling contest with Hearts as VAR barges its way onto centre stage. Report by Graham McGarry Var, var, glorious var were notorious, depending on your point of view. What was certain is that down at Tynecastle, the newly introduced technology played a central role in an enthralling contest between Hearts and Celtic. 
It's a shame to be discussing VAR at all after an incredible match when two sets of Holy Committee players shared seven goals, Celtic coming out on top by the odd one. But since it was always destined to be an opening weekend, it proved impossible to ignore. Where to start? What is absolutely certain is that any notion VAR would spend an end to spell an end to refereeing controversies in Scotland was firmly laid to rest. It showed its worth in getting one penalty call correct for Hearts that referee Nick Walsh somehow missed, and showed its limitations as it was bizarrely ignored for a clear handball in the area that should have seen Celtic awarded their own spot kick moments later. There was an added layer of drama certainly, but there were also long and unnecessary delays at times, begging the question of how VAR will come to be viewed when the novelty of it wears off. As far as the goals that were deemed legitimate are concerned, James Forrest was the first man to get in the score sheet, with substitute Lauren Shanklin turning the game in its head by converting from the penalty spot and then sliding home to put Hearts ahead. Celtic came back with a George's Camus header before nudging back in front to Diza Maida. Remarkably, another penalty in VAR interruption eventually saw Shanklin equalise once more to bring up his hat-trick, but Celtic had the last say of an incredible afternoon as Greg Taylor of all people came off the bench to settle what was an outstanding battle. It was clear that Hearts manager Robbie Nielsen had decided on attack as the best form of defence, pressing Celtic high and going toe-to-toe with Ange Postacoglu's juggernaut. And just when it looked as though they were gaining something of an upper hand after a bright Celtic opening, the visitor sliced through them to light the blue torch paper. A lightning counter-attack eventually saw Aaron Mui playing Rio Hotati down the right, who in turn invited Anthony Ralston to the byline. The fullback stretched to into force a cross that Keogh slid in to block, but as the ball spun up, it was Forrest who reacted quickest to nod home from close range. VAR had its first involvement as Alex Cochrane flattened Forrest out wide, allowing Mui to swing a free kick into the Hearts area that Ralston met with a diving header to bullet home, only for referee Walsh to penalise Giacomakis for an apparent push in Keogh. The decision was referred to the video assistant, re- assistant referee and, after what seemed like an age, particularly to the home support, Walsh's on-field decision stood. Much to, Walsh, much to Walsh's relief, given he had blown his whistle some time before the ball hit the back of the net. Hearts were dealt an apparent blow before the break, a striker Stephen Humphrey limped off to be replaced by Shankland, but the forward would have, would have an incredible impact. His first goal would come from a VAR check, what else? as Cammy Devlin crashed into the area and was brought to the ground by a challenge from Carmen Castle Vickers. Referee Walsh judged that the Celtic man had got a bit of the ball, but, after another long wait, he checked the screen at the far side and changed his mind, awarding the spot kick. It was the right decision in the end, with the only mystery being why it took the officials too long to make their minds up. Shanklin stepped up and blasted home in the mid- to the middle as Hart dived to his right. Amazingly, there was still time for another VAR referral, Forrest chipping the ball into the hand of Michael Smith in the area, but much to the visible bemusement of Postalicoglu in the technical area, the appeal was waved away, this time with uncharacteristic haste. Shanklin was at it again moments left after the restart though, Josh Gianelli turned brilliantly down the right to drill a low cross into the box, which, which the Porsche was on, on hand to turn into the net from close range. How Celtic didn't draw level moments later, only Mui knows. Hatati got in down the right and laid the ball in a silver platter for the Australian, dead in the centre of goal. 
Somehow, though, he conspired to place places finish wide of Craig Gordon's right-hand post, with the Celtic supporters already celebrating. They would get their chance again soon enough. Celtic won a corner on the left and a 40 delivery by Moy was met by a leaping Geokamakis to power the champions level with a downward header into the far corner. There was no time to catch your breath and, in the blink of an eye, Celtic were ahead yet again. A shot from Moy from the edge of the area was palmed away by Gordon but only to the arriving Maeda who blasted home from close range. Incredibly though, Hearts then had their second penalty of the day across from the right being nicked away from Jens as he attempted to clear by Devlin and the Celtic centre-back succeeding only in falling through and cleaning out the midfielder. Shanklin stepped up, but this time Hart guessed correctly to save, only for Janelo to follow in and apply the finish to the rebound. But wait, just as Celtic were about to kick off, VAR stuck its neck out once again, ordering a retake due to encroachment. So it was down to Shankland again and this time he found the bottom corner to eventually drag Hart's level and there was still around 25 minutes to go. Celtic, as champions tend to do, punched back yet again. A raft of substitutions gave them fresh impetus and it was two of them who would make an impact. Leela had a shot from the right being deflected to the back post when Taylor slid into score as it, what they would, as it turned out, secure a priceless three points for Celtic. And that report is by Graeme McGarry. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 22nd of October 2022, from the sports section, Football. Eve McCall bemoans avoidable lost goals as Queen's Park fire four past Partick Thistle by Aidan McDonald. Partick Thistle manager Ian McCall bemoaned the avoidable goals that his team conceded after losing to Queen's Park. It was the second consecutive loss for the Mary Hill Club in all competitions, following their midweek exit to Aberdeen in the quarter-finals of the Premier Sports Cup. The result means the Firhill team dropped to second in the Scottish Championship, as Inverness's point at home to Wraith Rovers was enough to leapfrog McCall's men. And the 58-year-old could not hide his frustration at full-time. I did not see that result coming and after the first half, he said. I thought we were excellent in the first half, after the first five minutes, and should have scored two or three before half-time. After they get their goal from the set play, we became ragged. We went for it and put two strikers on, and I don't know if that was a mistake, but we certainly looked tired after that. Maybe that is because we allowed them to sit in, and they counter-attacked really well. Their last two goals were very much avoidable from our point of view. The result was Thistle's first defeat at home in the league this season, and McCall felt his side lacked a clinical edge. He continued, Even in the second half, we had chances to score, so it is a really sore one. What is important now is how we react in our next game. If we get a positive result, then we go back top. During the opening stages of the fixture, it was the visitors who enjoyed the bulk of the early possession, with Thistle goalkeeper Jamie Sneddon doing well to tip a curling effort over the bar five minutes in. The host began to grow into the game, though, and this pressure culminated in them winning a penalty after Spiders defender Lee Kilday was judged to have handled the ball in the area. However, Aaron Muirhead was unable to convert the spot kick as his attempt hit the post. Moments later, against the run of play, Owen Cole's men took the lead through Tommy Robson. The fullback was played in behind thanks to a superb pass and he slotted the ball past the Jags keeper 25 minutes into the match. Scott Tiffany became the closest to the home, to the home team finding a reply before half-time after he forced a great save from Queen's Park shot-stopper 
Callum Ferry. Despite this, it was the visitors who went into the break 1-0 up. There were no changes for either team at the start of the second 45 minutes, but this soon changed when Tiffany limped off soon after the restart to be replaced by Cammy Smith. The fourth substitution did little to change the complexion of things for Patrick Thistle, though, as in the 51st minute, the Spiders extended their lead. Jack's keeper Snedden miskicked the ball, which led to Coilsman getting a corner and defender Stephen Ease headed home to put the away side 2-0 up. Soon after, the fixture was over as a contest when forward Josh McPate's calm finish gave the away side a three-goal cushion. Misery was compounded for the Firhill faithful when the striker got his second to make it 4-0 with a fabulous finish. It was a decisive victory for Coyle's team in the end, and the Queensport boss was delighted at his men's performance as they ended their run of three games without a win in style. The Spiders are now in third place, and the former Republic of Ireland international was full of praise for his players. He said, I think the second half is the best we have been this season. We have won the game 4-0 and scored four very good goals. We were the better team, there's no argument about that. We managed to strike the balance both defensively and offensively. The four goals were nice, but I'm happier with the clean sheet. I thought our quality of football was excellent today. And that report was by Aidan MacDonald. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 22nd of October 2022. From the sports section, football. Rangers 1, Livingston 1. Injury time John Lundstrom strike salvages a sorry draw against 10-man rivals by, by Matthew Lindsay. An injury time John Lundstrom goal salvaged a point for Rangers in their cinch premiership match against Livingston at Ibrox this afternoon. But this sorry draw allowed Celtic, who had started the day two points, two points clear of their city rivals at the top of the table, to forge four points clear. A Joel Noble strike in the fourth minute gave David Martindale's side who had failed to triumph, triumph on their 20 previous visits to the Govan ground, the lead. Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's team dominated the encounter thereafter and applied relentless pressure to their opponent's goal. But they were unable to convert any of the scoring opportunities which they created against their 10-man adversaries until the very death. Lundstrom finally netted and ensured his side avoided an ignominious defeat when he volleyed a Kent chip beyond Chamal George in the 95th, 91st minute. Rangers had the chance to move back to within two points of their city rivals, who had beaten Hearts 4-3 at Tynecastle earlier, in the table again with a win. But they could have no complaints about the final scoreline. The home supporters made their displeasure at the result, which has increased the pressure on manager Van Bronckhurst, well known at the final whistle. There were boos from the fans who were left inside the stadium. Rangers head to Italy next week for a Champions League match against Gruppi leaders Napoli, in the Diego Maradona Stadium, and it is hard to see them avoiding a fifth straight defeat in that outing in this evidence. Van Bronckhurst made six changes to the team which toiled a 1-0 win over Dundee in the Premier Sports Club on quarter-final on Wednesday night. John McLaughlin, Rid Van Neumaz, James Sands, Scott Wright, Fashion Sicala and Alfredo Morelos all dropped out and Alan McGregor, Borna Barisic, Ben Davies, Scott Arfield, Ryan Kent and Antonio Colac returned. There were fitting tributes to Jimmy Miller, the legendary Rangers striker who passed away at the age of 87 this week following a battle with dementia before kick-off. Banners were unfurled, unfurled which read, Jimmy Miller, you're immortal, wearing number 9, 
in the BF1 section of the Brimland Road stand. James Tavernier and his teammates wore black armbands and there was an impeccably observed minute silence. Miller, who won three Scottish titles, five Scottish Cups and three League Cups during the 12 years that he spent as a player in Govan in the 1950s and 1960s, was surrounded as an exceptional header of the ball in his glorious heyday. Kolak, the current first-choice centre-forward, has shown he is no slouch in that department himself this term, but the Croatian internationalist nodded wide in the third minute after Kent had supplied him in the opposition six-yard box. That miss very much set the tone for the afternoon. There was nothing wrong with his opposite numbers finishing just seconds later. Livingston took the lead when a Christian Montano pass was deflected into the Noble's path. The six-foot-four in front man showed great composure and technique to control the ball, turn and slot beyond McGregor and into the bottom right corner. His strike stunned Ibrox into silence. But the home supporters in the 48,855 strong crowd were soon making their unhappiness at the side's play clear. Tavernier and his teammates retained possession for long periods, but they failed to trouble the visitor's keeper, George. Breaking down rivals who positioned nine outfield players in and around the penalty area when they had the ball proved to be problematic. Kolak fired a Kent delivery just wide and tried his luck from long range, but at no stage did Rangers look like levelling. The Almondville club, on the other hand, were dangerous in the counter. When Jack Fitzwater went close to doubling their lead a Sean Kelly corner, the level of disaffection in the stands cracked up a level. Martindale made two changes to the side that beat St Johnson 1-0 seven days earlier. Centre-half Fitzwater and midfielder Andrew Shinney replaced forward Curtis Guthrie and Dylan Bahambala. His ultra-defensive approach may not be especially attractive to watch, but it is certainly effective. Van Brookers made two substitutions at half-time. James Sams took over from Leon King at centre-half and Stephen Davis made way for Rabbi Matondo. The Dutchman was clearly hoping that the winger could provide a much-needed spark in the final third, but Jackson Longridge, who came on when Montana limped off injured at the end of the opening 45 minutes, nullified the threat which he posed on the right flank effectively. Rangers laid siege to the Livingston goal in the second half. Tavernier forced two saves from George and Kolak went close with a spectacular overhead kick, but the crosses, and there were 73 of them in total, which they played forward hopefully were all dealt with comfortably. Could Morelos turn things around? There was a huge clear when the Colombian replaced Arfield with 25 minutes remaining. But not even playing with two strikers could help Rangers restore parity. There was a VAR check in the 77th minute after Morgan Boys brought down Morelos. The substitute had been yellow carded for the foul. But referee David Monroe increased that to a red after watching back the incident in a pitch side monitor. Fashion Sakala came on from Matondo and Kima Roof replaced Barisic in the closing stages. Nicky Devlin and his fellow players continued to defend for their lives, but they could do nothing about the volley that Lundstrom smashed into the top corner in injury time. And that report was by Matthew Lindsay. From the Glasgow Times, Saturday the 22nd of October 2022, from the sports section, Rangers manager Giovanni Van Bronckhurst makes end-of-story admission as pressure mounts after Livingston draw. Report by Matthew Lindsay Giovanni Van Bronckhurst tonight admitted it will be end of story for him as Rangers manager unless he halts his size dire run of form following a costly 1-1 draw with Livingston at Ibrox. But Van Bronckhurst expressed confidence that his players, 
who were booed off the park for the second time in four days after falling four points behind Celtic at the top of the Singe Premiership, remain firmly behind him. The Dutchman's team salvaged a point against opponents who were reduced to 10 men, where Morgan Boys was sent off in the second half thanks to an injury time John Linson goal, but he conceded that the display had not been acceptable. What can I say? he said. I'm trying my best. As a manager, you have to stick with your beliefs, with your way of playing, and sometimes this is not going the right way. When you are not performing as a coach, as a team, when you're not getting your results, then of course people will not buy into it. That is not just for me, this is for every coach in this profession. You see, if it's not going well, then eventually it is end of story. That is for everyone. But I still think we can turn it around. I believe my players are still behind me and working hard to overturn this moment. I have the belief they believe in me. I have to believe that we can still play the way we can play. Van Bronckers added, I'm not happy with our performance. I'm not happy with the way we started. Normally we start on the front foot at home, but today it was the opposite. How we conceded the goals is impossible, in my opinion, but it happened. Overall, we didn't create enough chances. I don't know the reasons for the performance. If we know all the answers, we would play the game fantastic, but that's not the case. It's a difficult moment for us. We need to keep working hard. Obviously we're not playing the way we can as a team. The players are not performing as they can. If you combine that and lose a goal really early, then the confidence goes really low. That affected things throughout the game. Asked about the supporters' reaction at the final whistle, Van Burker said, It's understandable that they show their frustration. They want their team to be successful, playing well and get points in Europe. It's what is expected when you're a Rangers manager or player, and when that's not happening you will get criticised. We need to take that as, as it's their voice and the fans are so important for every club. We need to make sure we give them the moments to be positive. In the last couple of games we didn't do that. I said it many times, I understand them and we will work hard to overturn it. Van Bronckers, who side played Napoli in Italy in the Champions League on Wednesday, revealed that Leon King came off at half-time because he was feeling sick and Rabi Matondo was replaced in the second half because he suffered a back injury. And that report was by Matthew Lindsay. Glasgow Evening Times, the 23rd of November and the sports section. Ali McCoyce calls out Twitter account with over 9,000 followers by Adrian Smith. Ali McCoyst has taken to his Instagram page to call out a hoax Twitter account set up in his name. The Rangers legend is a hugely popular figure and has over 310,000 followers on his Instagram profile. But he was forced yesterday to confirm that he was not a Twitter user as he shared a fake profile in his story. He wrote, This is not me on Twitter. I don't have a Twitter account. My own social media account is here. Since McCoist's post, the account has changed its profile details. Meanwhile, McCoist has shared his fear over a potential appointment of Michael Beale as Rangers manager. The Ibrox Club are on the hunt for a new boss after sacking Giovanni von Bronckhurst earlier this week. McCoist said... Excellent reports about Michael as a coach. Is it just a little bit early? I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Do you go for more experience? Someone like Sean Deitch or one or two others. 
Michael Beale is certainly very well thought of, but I'm not sure if it's maybe a little bit early because it's a massive job. The pros are, he knows the place. He's been there before. The players know him, and he's had a better than reasonable start to his managerial career at QPR. Although they have dipped a little bit, losing four out of their last five. On the chance of Steven Gerrard returning, McCoy started, I'm pretty open-minded. I'm eager and keen to find out who the replacement will be. There is no real standout candidates. I think it's pretty open between four or five. I don't think that will happen, Gerard return. I wouldn't say burnt bridges, far from it. I would say the vast majority of the Rangers' support were delighted with the job he did, winning that big title. But I think there is one or two who are not happy the way it ended, and I think it would be tough to come back from that. That was by Adrian Smith. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 23rd of November, and the sports section. Dylan McGough finds a new club and makes instant impact by Adrian Smith. Dylan McGough has made an immediate impact for the Forest Green Rovers after signing for the club yesterday. The former Celtic Aberdeen Hibsman was on a long search for a new club after being released at Pedodri over the summer. McGough has recently been, I don't know if I've got that pronunciation right, McGouch, McGouch, has recently been training in with Livingston as he looked to retain his fitness and yesterday he finally struck gold as he signed for English League Club, uh, English League One side Forest Green. Just hours after penning his deal, the former Scotland international was thrown into the starting eleven in Tuesday's Papa John's trophy tie against Cheltenham Town. Ultimately, McGouch's new side were defeated 4-3 on penalties after the match finished 1-1, but he did impress his new manager, Ian Birchnall. He said, I thought he, Dylan, was excellent. He rightly got man of the match. He came straight in based on really one training session. I know there was a few disgruntled fans when I subbed him off, but I tried to remind him that the last time he played 90 minutes was over a year ago, and he's not been playing since the summer. To risk him through 90 today would be quite foolish. We had to get him off at 60. It was pre-planned. It wasn't ideal, as he was playing well, but I didn't want to take a risk with him more than we need to, especially with what has been going on so far. So he will freshen up and get ready for the weekend now. He's got great experience, played at some big clubs and played in this league before. I think he communicates well, sits in the midfield and organises. That is something that will give us a little balance and experience in there and will be keen going forward. On his move to the club, McGarrett added, added, I'm really happy to join FGR and I'm excited to get going. Hopefully I can help the team win more games and climb the League One table. That was by Adrian Smith. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 23rd of November and sports section. Glazer family considering sale as Ronaldo leaves Manchester United. The Glazer family could potentially be following Cristiano Diano Ronaldo out of Manchester United after opening the door to a sale of the club. 
Just a couple of hours after their most high-profile assets mutually agreed departure, following his explosive interview with Piers Morgan, came news of far more significance for fans long opposed to the unpopular American owners. After 17 years in charge, the Glazers now seem prepared to relinquish control after the club announced it was exploring strategic alternatives, which do include a sale. United said the board of directors was starting a process designed to enhance the club's future growth, with the intention of maximising opportunities on and off the pitch. The club statement read... As part of this process, the board will consider all strategic alternatives, including the new investment into the club, the sale or other transactions involving the company. This will include an assessment of several initiatives to strengthen the club, including stadium and infrastructure redevelopment and expansion of the club's commercial operations on a global scale, each in the context of enhancing the long-term success of the club's men's, women's and academy teams and bringing benefits to fans and other stakeholders. The Glazers took over at United with a £790 million leveraged buyout in 2005, but their tenure has faced significant opposition from supporters, which has grown in recent years, with the club having not won the Premier League since 2013. If they decide not to sell, they could still look for an investment partner to raise capital in order to fund a much-needed redevelopment of Old Trafford. We will evaluate all options to ensure that we best serve our fans and that Manchester United maximises the significant growth opportunities available to the club today and in the future, said Executive Co-Chairman and Directors Avram and Joel Glazier. Throughout this process, we will remain fully focused on serving the best interests of our fans, shareholders and various stakeholders. The Rain Group, which facilitated the sale of Chelsea over the summer, is acting as United's exclusive financial advisor, with Rothschild and Co. performing the same role to the Glazier family shareholders. While the Glazier's apparent willingness to consider a sale, having faced many years of fan protests, which will have escalated in the last couple of years, with the club's improvement in the failed European Super League provoking particular anger, will be welcomed. United stress there are no guarantees. Fans have opposed the Glazier family since they leveraged buyout in 2005. There can be no assurance that the review being undertaken will result in any transaction involving the company, added the statement. Owners of arch-rivals Liverpool, Fenway Sports Group, also based in the United States, are currently exploring similar options for the whole or partial sale of a club bought in 2010 for £300 million. News of a sale usurped Ronaldo's departure, which came as no surprise after he was highly critical of manager Eric Ten Hag and club officials. United Statements said the decision was mutually agreed with the player, who's reported £500,000 a week contract still had six months to run. But it's understood there's been no payoff and there are no ongoing obligations for the club. The PA news agency also understands there are no restrictions on who Ronaldo can play for under the terms of his departure agreement.
Portugal international Ronaldo, who is due to kick off his World Cup campaign against Ghana on Thursday, issued his own statement in which he said, Following conversations with Manchester United, we have mutually agreed to end our contract early. I love Manchester United and I love the fans. That will never change. However, it feels like the right time for me to seek a new challenge. I wish the team every success for the remainder of the season and for the future. Former teammate Rio Ferdinand believes Ronaldo had a plan to navigate an exit. He obviously did that interview with the mindset he wanted to get out of the club as he wasn't happy and he made it very clear, he told BBC One. But I also think Ten Hag has got what he wanted. Both parties are happy. Another former teammate, Rain Rooney, said the player's attack on the club left United with no option. It's sad to see it end this way, but once everyone's seen the interview and how he attacked the club, I think there was no option, so I'm not I'm surprised. I'm not surprised, no. Rooney told Indian broadcaster Viacom 18 Sports, Visa Match Centre Live. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 23rd of November, and the sports section. Partick Thistle FC unveil Gaelic signage at Firhill Stadium in Glasgow by Nicole Mitchell. New Gaelic or Gaelic signage has been officially unveiled at Partick Thistle FC. Signs at Firhill Stadium are the first part of the Partick Thistle FC's Gaelic language initiative to promote Gaelic at the stadium and in the local community and to increase the number of Gaelic learners. Partick Thistle is now the first Scottish professional football club and the only second in the world to have bilingual English and Gaelic signage in place at its stadium. Signage was unveiled at the club on Tuesday with pupils from our Sogol Gadling Glasgow, hope I've got that pronunciation right, uh, Glasgow Gaelic Secondary School, pr- present to pronounce the signs in Gaelic. The idea to have the signage in place came from Fiona McConaughey, a Gaelic learner and Gaelic signage project leader at the stadium, after she said she was becoming increasingly aware of the lack of exposure to Gaelic in the community and because there's not much promotion of the language within sport. She says she was absolutely thrilled to see the signs unveiled after first bringing the idea to the club around 18 months ago. Fiona said, It was only ever a dream. Never for one minute I think I would actually become a reality. The first time I saw the fatal Gufuru Hill sign on the gable end of the stadium, I had tears in my eyes. I was more emotional seeing it than I thought I would be. She continued, Glasgow has one of the highest numbers of Gaelic speakers and learners out with the Western Isles and Inverness. Historically, a lot of Gales migrated to Glasgow in the Partick and Govan areas, so there's a large Gaelic element of the community. Since this project and the initiative has taken off, even more fans have come forward. Our stadium announcer is learning Gaelic, and one of our photographers is learning Gaelic. So all these people have been here, and I couldn't have told you about them, but since this initiative has taken off and come to fruition, it's become increasingly apparent we have quite a big Gaelic speaking element of our support. In addition to the signs, the health and safety message announced of the PA system during matches is spoken in both English and Gaelic. 
while early next year pupils from Ardsogel Galing Glashu will teach the language of a group of Partick Thistle players. Jerry Britton, CEO of Partick Thistle FC, said we're an inclusive club. We try to engage with all aspects of the community, so if we can make coming to Firhill Stadium any more attractive or more accessible to any aspect of the community, we're more than willing to do that. We're also hoping it may now spark supporters, players and staff to take an interest in the Gaelic language. Benji Bell, 16, fifth-year student at Ardskull Gadling Glashu, said, I'm a Partick Thistle fan, so to get the opportunity to come here today is enjoyable. I'm happy to get the opportunity. In the last few years, Gaelic has been dying out, but with more people coming to the Gaelic school and having more signs with it, it gets more recognition and more people speaking it, which is good for the culture of Scotland. That was by Nicole Mitchell. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 24th of November in the sports section. Celtic Resurrect, Mohamed Afsha Magdi transfer interest. Celtic have resurrected their interest in Egyptian hero Afsha and want to bring him to Glasgow on a loan move in January, according to reports in his homeland. The hoops have linked with a move for the 26-year-old Mohamed Magdi before, but have yet to make any interest official. Attacking, attacking midfielder Ashford plays for Cairo Giants Al-Ahil and signed a new contract two years ago, but he's been constantly linked with a move to Europe. He's been instru- instrumental in Al-Ahil's success in the last two years, helping them to a total of seven trophies since arriving from Pyramids FC. He saw a £300,000 move to Sivaspor collapse in August and his agent Abdel Rahman Ismail said then he received an offer from the Turkish League but it did not match Al-Ahil's financial demands. We are working to provide other opportunities for Afsha and there are already some preliminary talks with other clubs in Europe but that hasn't materialised into official offers yet. Now Egyptian media reports suggest Celtic want to take him on loan with an option to buy when the transfer window reopens in January. Afsha, who links up with Liverpool legend Mo Salad for Egypt, has won 13 caps for his country and has twice helped Al-Ahil reach the FIFA Cup World Cup semi-finals. Celtic manager Ange Postacoglu revealed this week he wanted to bring in new faces in January and confirm the signing of Japanese defender Yuki Kaboyashi. That was by Mark Walker. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 24th of November and the sports session. Glasgow clan up for sale after backlash to signing. The Glasgow clan have been up for sale amid the backlash over the signing of alleged rapist Lassie Yuzavitra. The Finnish player left the University of Alabama in 2013 after being accused of sexual assault, fleeing to his homeland with no intention of returning, according to the district attorney. He was signed by the clan last week, but 
released again after a few hours, with Neil Black, the club's chairman, suspending Gareth Chalmers, its chief executive and head coach, coach, Malcolm Cameron. That didn't stop a huge backlash from fans, with sponsor pulling the plug on their deals with the team. Now Black, owner and chairman, has announced that the team is up for sale. The statement said, from this point moving forwards, there will be a new internal process implemented to all hiring, a process that will end with the chairman having a full and transparent overview of every single hire we wish to make in the organisation. However, in the light of everything, ultimately as chairman of the club, the buck stops with me. The chairman has to take some responsibility for all the people within the organisation. Bearing that in mind, after 12 years as owner, now is the time to explore the opportunity to put the Glasgow clan up for sale or to seek a broader ownership group. I believe a new or broader ownership group could reinvigorate this fantastic franchise and fan base. It's what you as fans deserve. I want to repledge again what this great club is all about and will be going forwards. Community, charity, inclusiveness and coming together as one to support our team in purple in what is the greatest sport on earth. To end, let me reiterate against again my utter revulsion, disappointment and anger at what transpired last week. Finally, while I appreciate and understand the hurt done and feeling, I would like to issue a rallying call to all our fans, sponsors, players and staff to come together as one to ensure the continued existence of this great club and to guide it through to an exciting and successful future. Finance Director Jerry McLaughlin has resigned early on Friday, insisting that the signing of the alleged rapist was not the reason. In a video posted on Twitter, he said, I'd like to thank Neil Black for giving me the opportunity here and for having the foresight to put an ice hockey team in this city when no one else would. I in no way intend to trivialise valid concerns around recent events, but I want to stress that my decision has no specific relation to this. Glasgow Evening Times, the 24th of November in the sports section. Jamie Doby wants revenge on Leinster after Glasgow's Dublin disaster by David Barnes. Glasgow Warriors returned to the scene of the most gruesome experience in the club's recent history on Saturday, with Leinster at the Royal Dublin showground conjuring up painful memories of five and a half months ago when they were on the wrong end of a humiliating 74-14 thumping, a result which ultimately cost Danny Wilson his job. On the new head coach, Franco Smith, Glasgow Warriors feel they are fitter and making steady progress on the park, but their away record is still a concern. They have managed just one win from their last 12 matches on the road stretching back to mid-January, but scrum half Jamie Doby believes that this particular game is an ideal opportunity to change the narrative. We're just focusing on the squad we've got this year, and that result fuels, fuels us both individually and as a collective to put things right, he said. We know the challenge that Leinster bring, Leinster bring, especially in Dublin, and we know we've had some tough experiences there. So it's important for us to focus on the game that we know we can play. With the squad that we've got, there's no doubt that we can give them a good match and come away with a win. On a personal level, 21-year-old Doby is looking forward to getting back playing after a lengthy, lengthy layoff. 
The end of the last season was frustrating for the club and personally I wasn't getting as much time as I'd hoped. So he managed to organise for me to head down to play in New Zealand for a few months over the summer, he explained. The plan had been to play that NPC season down there with Bay of Plenty, which could have been 9 or 10 games over a period of a few months. But unfortunately I picked up a hamstring injury and it didn't quite pan out as planned. The hamstring injury kept, uh, issue kept Doby sidelined at the start of the season and when he was eventually fit to play again, his comeback match against the Lions near the end of October was called off due to a virus running through the squad, meaning he managed just one game, the 37-0 home win over Benetton, before the club season closed down for the autumn test window. The timing was frustrating, but I didn't get any time off before I went to New Zealand in June so it wasn't bad for the mind to head home and see family for a bit. And we've been back in and had a good training week while the boys were with Scotland, so we're ready to go. That was by David Barnes. Glasgow Evening Times on the 24th of November and the sports section. Killian Mbappé snubbed Jason Cummings' shirt swap request by Dan Darren Johnson. Jason Cummings has revealed how he was snubbed by Kylian Mbappé over a jersey swap after Australia's World Cup defeat to France. The former Hibs Rangers and Dundee striker, who now plays for Central West Coast Mariners, approached the PSG forward after Tuesday's 4-1 defeat in the hope of getting a momentum from the game. And even though Mbappé, regarded as one of the best players on the planet, initially seemed open to the idea, Cummings admit he did not get his hands on the 23-year-old's jersey. However, the 27-year-old, who climbed off the bench in the second half of the opening Group D game, did get Barcelona defender Jules Koundé's shirt. He said, After the game, I was disappointed with the results, so I kind of missed my boat a wee bit, and then I asked Mbappé. I went to the main man. I asked him and he said, I'll see you in the changing room. So I was buzzing. So we went to the changing room. I was with Cammy Devlin. And I think the kit man came out and he was like, give me your shirts and I'll go and get my bappies and whatever. I gave him mine. We're standing there, tops off. Ten minutes later, he came back with both the Socceroos kits. And he said, and he just gave me my top back and said, nah, he doesn't want to swap. He probably took a look at mine and thought, I'll just leave it. On my way out, I was walking back, going back to the changing room, and I walked past Kundi, and I was like, Kundi, can I get your shirt? I took that, just for a little memory. The Mbappé one would have been good. I probably would have sold it anyway. Australia take on Tunisia tomorrow before facing Denmark, and Cummings insists the result against France has not diminished the thrill of being at the World Cup. He added, I feel good, just buzzing. Wake up every day excited. Still can't believe I'm at the World Cup. It's surreal. Coming on against France, I had to pinch myself. An absolute dream come true. It's been a good camp and a good laugh with the boys. Both the games are massive. The next one is huge. We need to go in there and win the game. Every player is huge. It's the World Cup and they are all world-class players. Denmark, Christian Eriksen is going to be the stand. Absolutely incredible. Kasper Schmeichel in goals as well. Imagine slotting one past him. 
That was by Darren Johnston. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 24th of November and the sports section. QPR break Michael Beale's silence as manager expected to join Rangers. That's by Adrian Smith. QPR expect the manager, Michael Beale, to become the next boss of Rangers, according to reports. The former Ibrox assistant is the odds-on favourite to replace Giovanni von Bronckhurst after he was sacked earlier this week. Now TalkSport claims they have had contact from Beale's club QPR, saying they expect him to move back to the Scottish Premiership. Rangers confirmed that their new manager's search was underway as they axed Van Bronckhurst and Beale was a favourite from the off. The 42-year-old, who was an influential coach at Ibrox under the leadership of Stephen Gerrard, Beale left his role as assistant at Aston Villa to go out on his own at Loftus Road in the summer and his team currently sits 7th in the English Championship. Kenny Miller believes Beale would be the perfect appointment as next Rangers boss. There's loads of names that spring to mind. You've got the likes of Sean Dyke, who's got connections to Rangers supporting director, Ross Wilson, the same with Ralph Hassan Huttle, Miller told Sky Sports. One for me that would be right at the top of the list would be Michael Beale. His name's been banded about over the last month while Rangers have been toiling. I think he fits. He knows the club. He knows the players. There would be no surprises with him walking back into the building in terms of the demands and the expectations of the football club. And he started off on his own journey as a manager pretty well. Um, as well, so I think he'd be right at the top of the list. Miller acknowledged his former Rangers teammate, Van Bronckhurst, had to deal with difficult circumstances, but he had no arguments with the decision to sack him. The injuries to some key players, particularly Tom Lawrence and Connor Goldson, are huge, said Miller, particularly the Goldson, when you see the Rangers' defence at the moment. They've been giving up goals. It's been a really inexperienced centre-back pairing, so he's been a big loss. I feel the recruitment done in the summer has not really come to fruition as, le- as yet. Maybe there's a bit of development required in these signings in terms of settling into a new club in a new city where there are a lot of demands put on you, but ultimately the results have cost you. The fact they're sitting nine points behind Celtic after 15 games doesn't make good reading. Yes, there are circumstances that have not helped Geo, but I think it may be the right decision going forward. That was by Adrian Smith. The Glasgow Evening Times and the 24th of November with the sports section. Ridvan Yilmaz ends Rangers transfer talk as he discusses Ibrox's future by Mark Walker. Rangers star Ridvan Yilmaz has ended transfer speculation linking him with a return to Turkey by insisting he has no intention of quitting Ibrox. The Turkish international left back has had an underwhelming start to his career in Glasgow since joining for a reported £4 million in the summer from Besiktas. Besiktas. He started just two league games and has been unable to dislodge first choice Borna Bar Isik under axed manager Giovanni von Brankfurst. 
Yilmaz has been heavily linked with a quick-fire return to his homeland with former clubs Besiktas and Galatasaray, both reportedly interested in him. But he's now made clear in Turkish media that he has no intention of leaving Rangers and sees the move as a long-term project. He said, I want to play in the top leagues in Europe until the age of 28 or 29 at least and prove myself. So I have no intention of returning to Turkish football right now. Yilmaz, who signed a five-year deal when he joined in July, will now try and impress the new manager with the league when the league resumes next month. That was by Mark Walker. This is from the Glasgow Times on Friday 25th of November 2022 from the sports section. Barry Ferguson on his Rangers Michael Beale fear as he offers advice. This article is by Aidan Smith. Barry Ferguson has admitted that there will be plenty of doubt surrounding Michael Beale as Rangers' new coach if he is appointed. But the Ibrox legend reckons the former assistant could well be the best appointment the club can make at this stage as he looked to replace the axe Giovanni van Bronckhurst. Beale is expected to be named Rangers manager in the coming days as the club looked to implement the new regime during the World Cup break. And ahead of the appointment, Ferguson has offered the incoming boss some advice for his tenure. He wrote in the Daily Record, Michael Beale is certainly in pole position in what feels very much like a one-man race. So if, or when, his position is confirmed, he has quite a challenge on his hands with the team already nine points off the pace at the top of the table. Here's the one bit of advice I would give him. If you're going to go down, then make sure you go down fighting because Rangers fans simply won't accept anything less or any more excuses. Look, I realise winning the title this season is already a serious long shot, but if you don't believe you can do it, then what's the point in even taking the job in the first place? At the very least, he has to show the hunger and belief to try to claw that back between now and the turn of the year. I realise most people have already written off the league this season, but that can't be in the new man's thinking. Rattle off four wins against Hibs, Aberdeen, Ross County and Motherwell, then beat Celtic at Ibrox on January 2nd and it could be a very different picture. I'm sure that's the way he'll be looking at it because he knows how this club works. He has seen for himself what is required to be a successful Rangers manager and that includes the demands that have to be made of the board. He won't be coming in as some yes man who just have to be there and won't rock the boat. If it's his head on the block, then I'm sure He'll already have made stipulations with regard to what he expects to be done over the next two or three transfer windows. Otherwise, he doesn't stand a chance. Look, there's going to be a lot of debate over whether or not he's the right man to oversee this massive task. He's only been in charge of QPR for around six months and only had 20-odd games under his belt as a manager. So, yes, obviously the first concern is over his lack of experience, but... Is there a manager out there right now who Rangers could get that ticks every single box? That's simply not going to happen. So yes, while Beale has only been a manager for a matter of months, there are also a lot of upsides to his appointment. At the top of the list is the fact that, after spending three years working under Steven Gerrard, he knows the club inside out and he is perfectly well aware of the demands of the job. He knows the magnitude of the club and the scale of the expectations which will be placed on his shoulders. The article was by Aidan Smith. This is from the Glasgow Times on Friday 25th of November 2022 
from the sports section. Celtic dealt Af Shah transfer blow as Al Ali issues hands-off warning. Article by Mark Walker. Al Ali boss Marcel Kohler has issued a hands-off warning to Celtic about his star man Afsha and insisted they will do everything possible to keep him in Egypt. The hoops have been linked with a loan move for the Egyptian international who plays with Liverpool legend Mo Salah for the national team. Attacking midfielder Afsha plays for Cairo giant Al Ali and signed a new contract two years ago but he's been consistently linked with a move to Europe. He's been instrumental in Al Ali's success in the last two years helping them to a total of seven trophies since arriving from Pyramids FC. He saw a £300,000 move to Sivaspor collapse in August, but local reports claimed Celtic had made overtures to the Cairo club about taking him on loan in January. However, Al Ali Swiss manager Kola insists the 26-year-old is going nowhere. The former Cologne and Austria boss said Afsha is one of the important players at Al Ayla and he would be impossible to replace. The club's response, and my answer are clear, he is not for sale either on permanent transfer or a loan. At the moment, we are participating in a number of tournaments, and he is a vital part of the team. We want to maintain the strength of our playing squad, not weaken it. Celtic manager Ang Postacoglu revealed this week he wanted to bring in new faces in January and confirmed the signing of Japanese defender Yuki Kobayashi and appears to be closing in on Canadian defender Alistair Johnson. That article was by Mark Walker. This is from the Glasgow Times on Friday 25th of November 2022. This is from the sports section. Chris Sutton slams Cristiano Ronaldo as cheat over penalty call. This article is by Aidan Smith. Chris Sutton has slammed Cristiano Ronaldo as a cheat after the superstar won a penalty for Portugal against Ghana at the World Cup in Qatar last night. The recently released Manchester United man opened the scoring from his spot as his country defeated their African opponents 3-2 in their group opener. Ronaldo went down under the challenge of defender Mohamed Salisu and despite VAR checks, the referee stuck with his initial call. As a result of his goal, Ronaldo became the only man to score in five World Cup competitions but Sutton was quick to criticise the Portuguese star. Speaking to the Daily Mail, he said, Look, it is not the first time, is it? I have to say the VAR officials are absolute bottle jobs. It isn't good play by Ronaldo. It is a terrible example to young kids everywhere around the world. Everyone will be tumbling over. He is a great player, but it was cheating. I thought the officials had to be stronger. It was embarrassing, really, how they missed it. I was at the Brazil game and I saw the footage. Blimey, you don't have to watch it many times to see that he went over. Totally manufactured, out of order. The VAR officials shouldn't miss that. I was reading comments saying it was a penalty. It is ridiculous and cheating. I know he has his fans within the media and around the world, but come on, that was awful. Meanwhile, Celtic have been ranked as outsiders for a potential transfer for Ronaldo after his Old Trafford release. The Portuguese frontman said it felt like the right time for a new challenge after his contract with the Premier League side was terminated. Ronaldo's position at Old Trafford looked untenable after his explosive interview with Piers Morgan in which he criticised manager Eric Ten Hag and the club officials. Skybet have released a list of possible next moves for Ronaldo as he searches for the next stage of his career. Celtic are 50-1 outsiders while Chelsea are currently 11-4 favourites. That article was by Aidan Smith.
This is from the Glasgow Times on Friday 25th of November 2022 from the sports section. Podcast to pitch side. Ferry on open goal Broomhill Scottish Cup hopes. This is by David Irvin. It all started sitting in front of a camera discussing the unpredictable nature of Scottish football. So perhaps it's of little surprise to Cy Ferry to now be leading a club into Scottish Cup third round against Aller Athletic. Open goal Broomhill FC take on the League One club in Friday night cup action this evening with a record crowd expected at Broadwood Stadium as momentum continues to build at the Lowland League club. For Ferry, who first worked as a coach under Jim McAnally at Peterhead, it's just the latest landmark in an incredible journey from podcast host to manager at the same organisation. But it's no less than the 34-year-old they expected when he signed on to lead the ambitious collaboration between Broomhill FC and Open Goal, even if they've had their fair share of doubters along the way. That's the thing. People were very sceptical about it at the start, said Ferry of the project. A lot of eyebrows are being raised, but when you see we're getting 1,600 people along, that can only be a good thing. I think it's shone a light on Lowland League football, not just on our players. I think the whole league is getting exposure. The first highlights video that we put out from our game against Spartans got something like 64,000 views online. So it's not just our own players that are getting seen. Fundamentally, we are a community club. The amount of ball boys and ball girls that we have got now that were just fans at the start, now we're getting bigger crowds and they know the boys. You can hear them shouting the boys' names from the crowd, which is great because I never really expected it. At first, people would call it a vanity project and say it was all about us, but the biggest buzz I've got is that that crowd are now resonating with the players. That's what I wanted when I started this, so I think it has went really well in that sense. I think the documentary has shined a light on Lowland League football as well and really shown how serious we are taking it, how much we want the club to improve and for standards to rise. On that side of things, it has been a real success. Open Goal Broomhill have already overcome tough tests in the form of Brewer Rangers and Bucky Thistle to reach the third round of the Scottish Cup, but Ferry admits it'll take another man of performance to progress to the fourth round and a possible glamour draw against Premiership opposition. Regardless of the outside expectation, Ferry is hopeful his side could cause an upset and sting the wasp if they catch Brian Rice's men on an off day. I've got so much belief in my boys, said Ferry, ahead of the hotly anticipated cup clash. I know when we are at it that we are more than a match for anybody, but you can't take away from the fact that Aloha are a really good team. We need them to have a wee bit of an off day and we need to be really at it. If that happens, I'm confident we can give them a right good game. We're really looking forward to it. It's great for the boys. The way that ticket sales are going, it looks like we're going to get our biggest crowd of the season. The boys thoroughly deserve that. I couldn't have asked for two tougher ties when we got in the first and second round with Brewer Rangers at home and then Bucky Thistle up there. But every player to a man was outstanding over the course of the two games. They deserve a crack at the big tie. I have massive respect for Aller's manager. I've always liked how his teams play football. They've got good players and I know some of the boys, so I'm really looking forward to seeing them test themselves against a right good team and a right good manager. Aloha ahead to come and old as heavy favourites, but Ferry is adamant he boasts a squad packed with just as much ability as their opponents who play at a level two divisions higher. And the former Celtic and Dundee midfielder 
has put in the work off the pitch to ensure open goal Broomhill are as well prepared as possible for a huge night under the lights with anticipation growing. He added, We know how Allah like to play, but the thing about Brian Rice is that he can change it up between two systems, so we are prepared as best we can to face both of them. It's just about giving the boys belief. I tell the boys all the time, Listen, I coached League One players last year. There is absolutely no difference in terms of ability. I see us train two nights a week and on a Saturday, and when we are at their best, we're just as good as these guys. The reason that we are here is a different reason. It's not down to our ability. It's been tough for the boys. They're under a lot of pressure. There is a lot of scrutiny that comes with playing for us. It's a new team we've put together, and I couldn't speak highly enough of them. That article was by David Irvin. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 28th of November, and the sports section. Agent reveals Connery and Zeta Jones' role in Reno Gattuso Rangers Exit by Mark Walker. Italian super agent Andrea D'Amico has revealed how Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta Jones played a role, a role in the transfer of Reno Gattuso from Rangers back to his homeland. The World Cup winner was brought to Ibrox by Walter Smith in 1997 but was shipped out to Sal Ernitana a year later in a £4 million deal because Dick Avocat didn't rate him. From there, he went on to move to AC Milan and won two Champions Leagues, two Serie A titles and that 2006 World Cup with his country. D'Amico was a young, struggling agent back then, and he revealed the unusual story of how the transfer of Gattuso helped him build his profile, with a little help from the original James Bond and the famous Hollywood actress. He recalled, I was a very good friend of the former president of Glasgow Rangers, David Murray. In 1998, he told me that the manager no longer longer wanted Gattuso in the team, and could I negotiate a transfer? I didn't even know him. I met Reno at the Hilton in Glasgow, and in 30 days I transferred him to Salernitana and after six months to Milan, with whom he won everything. But it was a thrilling negotiation. Murray gave me an appointment at his villa on the island of Jersey. His friend Sean Connery came to open the door for me. He was a great lover of Italy, and Agent 007 insisted on making me coffee. And in the afternoon, Catherine Zeta-Jones arrived because she was filming the movie Entrapment with Sean. So the transfer negotiations for Gattuso were done with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones. That was by Mark Walker. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 28th of November in the sports section. Alistair Johnson, £3 million Celtic transfer for Montreal thrashed out by David Irvin. Celtic have reportedly agreed a £3 million transfer deal to sign Alastair Johnson from CF Montreal. It's claimed the clubs have thrashed out a fee worth up to £3 million to sign the 24-year-old. Ange Postacoglu is thought to be a fan of the right-sided defender and has moved quickly to land his man. Johnson faced off against current Celtic right-back Josip Juranovic in World Cup duty yesterday. The Canada defender was on the losing end of a 4-1 scoreline as he played against the creation fullback, with speculation growing over a possible Parkhead exit. 
The Daily Record report Johnson, who will pocket 10% of his transfer fee, will complete a move following formalities being finalised in Scotland. It's said there will be no issue for Johnson to earn a work permit with a defender holding a UK passport due to his Northern Irish mum. Johnson has impressed for Canada at the World Cup, both against Belgium and Croatia, despite suffering back-to-back defeats. The defender has featured as both a right-back and on the right side of a back three for his country at the tournament. Johnson only moved from Nashville SC to Montreal in December last year in a deal worth £800,000, but is ready to make the switch to European football. It comes after Johnson revealed he was honoured to be linked with a move to Celtic in the new year. To be linked with a club like Celtic is something all young footballers would be excited by, said the Canadian defender. It is one of the most passionate fan bases in the world, if not the most passionate fan base. It is a club that even people who do not follow football know who they are. It's an honour. Just being linked with them, my phone's been blowing up. It nearly put my phone out of commission halfway through a World Cup. That was by David Irvin. The Glasgow Evening Times, the 28th of November in the sports section. Ice hockey. Dixon keen to repay clan fans after Lassie Yusivita Saga by Graham McPherson. Their entire Netflix series with fewer dramatic moments than Stephen Dixon has experienced in his short time living in Scotland. This has undoubtedly been the most tumultuous season in Glasgow, formerly Bray Head, clan's 12-year history, one that has left their very existence mired in uncertainty. Dixon, recruited in the summer from Cardiff Devils as player assistant coach, was still getting his bearings when the ground began to shift under his feet. Perhaps it was the winless start to the season that prompted the clan hierarchy out of desperation to offer a contract to Lassie Sifitra, but would prove to be a costly piece of misjudgment. It didn't take more than a cursory internet search to find that the Finn had an historic rape charge still hanging over his head, something the clan support quickly discovered for themselves. The collective reaction was one of understandable dumbfounded fury. Blatantly reading the room, the club hastily reversed their decision to sign the defenseman, but it was too late. The damage had been done. Head coach Malcolm Cameron and chief executive Gareth Chalmers were both suspended pending an investigation that concluded with chairman Neil Black suggesting it was perhaps time for the club to consider a change of ownership. Sponsors left in their droves in disgust. Cameron returned, but not for long, as the team's on-ice struggles continued, the players toiling to find any form following a bout of traumatic turbulence that was not of their making. Cameron's sacking saw Dixon thrust into the position of interim head coach with a remit to somehow steady the ship, a lengthy injury list meanly adding to what must have been already felt like a thankless task. At 37, Dixon is no coward novice, but this has surely been a period unlike anything he's ever experienced during a lengthy ice hockey career. The Yusivita signing was such a PR blunder, it's hard to imagine how anyone could have thought it was a good idea. 
Dixon concedes that moment, and the subsequent weeks of turmoil took its toll in the changing room. It was certainly a tough situation for everybody, he says with a dollop of understatement. There's a good leadership group in the room, and there are guys who care a lot about the club. That period was pretty difficult on a lot of them, even though we tried to keep it as positive as we could. There was a lot of talk around the club, around Yusevita's signing, but we still had to go out there and perform, trying to entertain and win games. But it was definitely an unfortunate situation. Guys aren't really involved with that side of the game, but you can still feel things from the outside. As players, we had talks together and anyone had their thoughts on it. Did it split the dressing room? No, I don't think it came down to that. Guys didn't take any of that stuff. Yusevita's past lightly. It was just very unfortunate how that whole situation came up. Cameron's departure has thrust Diskin unexpectedly into the head coach role, and he thanks those around him for making the transition easier than might have been the case. I came here as player assistant coach to help Malcolm and learn that way, he says, but obviously there must have been some changes. Coaching was something I thought I might get into eventually as it's a natural progression. It just happened a little quicker than I had expected. The exact nature of Chambers' ongoing involvement with the club is somewhat unclear. Although no longer clan chief executive, he remains managing director of Brayhead Arena, the team's home, and is still active behind the scenes. Dixon doesn't detail exactly who he reports to as interim head coach, but he says he's happy with the backing he has received. As to the long-term direction of the club, he insists he's as much in the dark as everyone else. There's a lot of things as a player that are out of your control, he adds. The guys know about that stuff, the club being up for sale, but it's not been a distraction as far as I know. Those guys in management have been great. There are a lot of people around here that really care for the club and give us whatever we need to try and help us succeed. There is no regulation from the Viaplay Elite League, which is perhaps a good thing for clan given. At the time of writing, they remain at the foot of the table with just three wins to their name. Downing tools and coasting through, however, isn't an option. Not when the club continues to be backed by a remarkably loyal fan base who can turn out in vast numbers for often little reward. Expectations were high for the club this season, so nobody has foreseen a start like this, admits Dixon. I knew Glasgow was a hockey town before I came up, but I didn't know to what extent. The OSC, Official Supporters Club, do a lot of great things and the guys feel that loyalty from the fan base. We want to turn it around to thank them for sticking by us in these tough times. That was by Graham McPherson. Glasgow Evening Times on the 28th of November in the sports section. Giovanni von Bronckhurst breaks Rangers silence after Ibrox sacking by Adrian Smith. Giovanni von Bronckhurst has broken his silence after departing Rangers, taking social, to social media with a statement that admits domestic form was unacceptable during his tenure. And while the Dutch coach takes a straightforward approach to his team's failings, he also notes facing unique challenges and some very difficult circumstances. 
This is likely a reference to losing Joe Aribo and Calvin Bassey, arguably his two best players, in the transfer window while their replacements were among 10 first-team squad members out of action with injury by the time the axe fell last week. The manager was relieved of his duties following a string of poor results that left the Ibrox side nine points adrift of Celtic in the title race. He is set to be replaced by former coach and QPR manager Michael Beale as the 18th manager in the club's history. Van Bronckhurst's spell was marked by a strangely mercurial performance level that was to be his undoing. The club reached the Europa League final, won the Scottish Cup and qualified for the Champions League, but also struggled against less glamorous opposition domestically, particularly away from home. The Dutchman, who was always a classy conciliatory figure in good times and bad, left a heartfelt message of thanks to supporters as he looked to draw a final line under his tenure. He said the opportunity to manage an institution like Rangers FC is a privilege which very few are afforded. As a former player, I understood the responsibility and magnitude of the task. My backroom team and I worked with energy, passion, and were driven with a belief that we could achieve amazing things. We treated our, our roles with respect, optimism, and determination. We experienced some incredible highs, especially on our European journey to Seville, winning the Scottish Cup for the first time in over a decade, and qualifying for the group stage of the Champions League is something I'm very proud of. The passion of our support drove us on to achieve those wonderful memories. For that, I am forever grateful to every single one of you who travelled near and far, spent your hard-earned money, and never gave up on supporting our team. This season, like every year at Rangers, the first priority is domestic success. I understand the hurt when wins become draws, and worse, when we experience defeat. That isn't acceptable at a club of Rangers standing. No one understands that. No one understood that and felt that more than I did. I faced unique challenges and some very difficult circumstances to operate in. Rangers FC will always be in my heart and I wish the club all the success for the future. Once a Ranger, always a Ranger. That was by Adrian Smith. The Glasgow Evening Times and the sports section on the 28th of November. Scottish FA ban heading day before and after matches in new guidelines by David Irvin. The Scottish FA has announced new heading guidelines in the adult game, banning repeated heading on the day before and the day after matches. A new study carried out by the Hamden Sports Clinic and the Scottish FA analysed data from men and women's matches to support the fresh recommendations. It stated that training exercises which could involve repeated heading of the ball should be limited to one session per week. Similar activities could not take place one day either side of a match day and clubs should plan and monitor heading activity to reduce the overall heading burden. The new guidelines follow consultation with key groups with 50 professional clubs across both the men's and women's games, PFA Scotland and the Coaches and Managers Association involved in this research. The Scottish FA also surveyed SPFL and SWPL clubs on heading practices in professional football with a follow-up survey showing 70% backing for heading guidelines to be introduced. 
Another subsequent survey carried out alongside PFA Scotland found a 64% majority of players believed heading should be limited in training. New SFA guidelines on heading training exercises, which could involve repeated heading, should be carried out no more than once a week. Training exercises, which could involve repeated heading, should not take place on MD1 or MD-1 or MD-1. This includes activities such as crossing and finishing and set-piece practice. Clubs should plan and monitor heading activity on training just to reduce the overall heading burden. The guidelines come after a Glasgow University study found that former footballers were three and a half times more likely to die from brain disease. Scottish FA Chief Executive Ian Maxwell cited the study as a catalyst for a radical rethink of football guidance and suggested the new rules could help shape guidelines around the world. Maxwell said the historic University of Glasgow study, FIE, LD, which found an increased risk of neurodegenerative diseases in retired professional footballers compared to a matched population control group, has been catalyst for a radical rethink of football guidance, stating in the youth game, with the introduction of the heading guidelines for children between 16 to 17 in 2020. The Scottish FA said at the time that this research should shape the thinking in the adult game, not just domestically, but across the world. I'm grateful to everyone in the professional game, clubs, coaches, managers and players for contributing to the latest research, which has culminated in these new guidelines. It is our intention that these guidelines will be embraced and implemented with immediate effect. The publishing of today's guidelines represents our ongoing commitment to player welfare. Dr. John McLean, Scottish FIA Chief Medical Consultant, added, It's important to reiterate that while the FIELD study was not designed to identify the causes of this increased risk, both head injury and heading have been suggested as possible contributing factors to neurodegenerative disease. While the research continues to develop, what we already know about heading and its effects on the brain suggests that there is measurable memory impairment lasting 24 to 48 hours following a series of headers and that brain-related proteins can be detected in blood samples for a short time after the heading. Brain scan changes have also been reported in footballers that may be linked to heading. Therefore, the goal is to reduce any potential cumulative effect of heading by reducing the overall exposure to heading in training. Scotland was the first country in the world to have a single set of concussion guidelines for all sports, and the If in Doubt, Sit Them Out campaign is now widely recognised and implemented across all sports. The National Sports First Aid course aims to provide coaches and parents with the knowledge to recognise and remove players who have sustained a possible concussion with the Advanced Sport Promote course educating doctors and physiotherapists in the professional game. Concussion recognition and management is also an integral part of the Scottish FA Coach Education Programme. The Scottish FA Chief Football Officer Andy Gold commented, There already exists a lot of data around in-match heading but this latest research has been invaluable in understanding the extent of heading load with the training environment. 
I'm grateful to the clubs, managers and players for providing us with the information and perspectives required to facilitate an informed and data-driven discussion, which has culminated in the publication of guidelines designed to protect the safety and well-being of our players. That was by David Irwin. Glasgow Evening Times in the sports section. Smith determined to find a solution to Warriors' troubles on the road by Dara Small. And this is on the 28th of November. Glasgow Warriors head coach Franco Smith has called on his men to bounce back from the latest Dublin debacle and find a way to win away from home for the first time this season. The latest hammering wasn't anywhere near the magnitude of the 76-14 drubbing they suffered in the RDS in June, but Warriors were still way off the pace against the second-string Leinster side. Glasgow have lost all four of their away games in the URC so far this season, and Smith hopes they can finally get over the line when they travel to Parma next weekend. But first, they need to process another tough day as everyone was coming to terms with the death of Scotland legend Doddy Weir. Smith was a teammate of South African Scrofmahaf and Jus van der West Usen, who also died of motor neuron disease while he played against Weir too. He, Weir, was an icon of the game for so long and it's really a sad day for Scottish rugby, said Smith. Jus van der Westhausen was a very good friend of mine and suffered from the same illness. It's really sad. <coughs> We're all devastated by the news. Our thoughts are with his family. We know it's going to be a devastating period from them, from our side, all our condolences. On the last visit to Dublin, Glasgow were humiliated 76-14 and Danny Wilson lost his job after that quarter-final defeat last June. And while this wasn't as horrific, Glasgow still fell behind early and trailed by 21-0 at half-time, following tries from Dave Kearney and Rob Russell too. Gregor Brown thought he had scored on the resumption, but that was ruled out. And when Sebastian Cancelier touched down moments later, it looked as though Glasgow had their chance. However, George Horne missed the conversion, and crucially, Leinster scored next when Michael Milne wrapped up the bonus point. There were further tries from Russell, and John McKee and Leinster made it 8 from 8 in the URC as they surged clear at the top. But it's a very different story for Glasgow, who need to start winning games away from home. After their clash with Zebra Palmer next Saturday, they go to the wreck to face Bath in the Challenge Cup, and they need to find a way to get the results on the road. That is definitely one of the aspects that we're working on, and it's something I pride myself on. I've always coached the Italians and even the Cheetahs to win away from home. They eventually get it right and start winning away from home, said Smith. Yes, unfortunately, there aren't some old habits and beliefs that get stuck, but we've got a lot of plans that we're making. It's going to be one game to turn it round, and hopefully we can get it next week. I don't want to call it a psychological plan because I think it's sometimes misinterpreted by the public. We want to get out there and develop skill sets and also mental skill sets to handle the pressure and help us play better away from home. And with Europe around the corner, 
Smith thought that his team were on the right track, heading to Leinster this weekend, backed by their returning international contingent. The importance and pressure is massive. We wanted to win out there. I was sincerely convinced that this week we were going to get it right. They just inaccurate. We lost lineouts that we would usually win. So there were just errors, which were understandable. We hadn't played for the last three weeks, said Smith. But we will gel. And for me, the most important thing is we've broadened our depth again. Hopefully in a couple of months, we're going to see a group with much more depth. That was by Dara Small. And that was this week's Glasgow Times Sport podcast, normally recorded in our studio at the Bishop Briggs Media Centre, currently recorded from our volunteers' homes with the publisher's kind permission. Thanks for listening.